He's got a beautiful backswing. That's oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh, that is amazing! Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. And, you know, we promised over the quote-unquote offseason that we would have some great interviews, but I don't know that there's a better interview and bigger star than Vince Gill, and that's who we are going to interview today. But I'm going to hand off the introduction to our man Woody because Woody has known Vince Gill for years. So, Woody, do an intro, but do our man this legend, absolute legend, not only in country music, but the game of golf as well. Please do him a solid and give him a great intro, Woody. Well, I don't need to give him a good intro. Are you kidding me? You know, I don't want his head to get any bigger than it is. Um, but that's not true because I've known Vince since we were little kids playing junior golf and golf incorporated in Oklahoma City. And I'll tell you one thing about Ben Skill, boys. He has never changed. Not one bit. And I kind of chuckle because he's won so many awards and done so many things that even to this day, when I sit and watch a show that talks about him, I go, well, damn, I didn't know he was that good. Um, <laughs> it, it's just phenomenal how good he is. So, so Benny, let, let's just start from the beginning, if you don't mind. Um, your earliest recall of our junior golf days and then we'll build to the point where we're uh, about to lose our minds with dementia well very easy you know you and i we did a golf tournament for years in oklahoma city called the woody event and my favorite memory of years that we did that was if you were one of the juniors and you'd play in the play dates they'd put the low scores three or four lowest scores in the paper the next day and this is how it went for pretty much the the <laughs> The entire entirety of our junior golf career. I'd shoot 39, Jimmy Woodward shoot 38. <laughs> I'd shoot 37, Jimmy Woodward would shoot 36. Jimmy Woodward shoot 40, I'd shoot 41. And this went on every, and Jimmy, he found the old uh, transcript from the newspaper and, he, and we were doing that at the banquet one night. And then there was one day that he wasn't there. He didn't make the junior golf play day. And he said, and and I had I had tied for the low score, which was a forty three, I think. But what Jimmy didn't realize is that the guy I tied with was Bob Tway, <laughs> and, and his point was going to be, Vince, what does this tell you? You know, I go through all these courses, and you're always one shot behind me. He says, "What does that say?" And I said, "Well, see that one down there at the bottom where it tied Bob Tway." He goes, "Yeah." I said, "That tells me I had a good chance to win a major." <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I told uh, these guys. I told these guys, Vince, that you, you ask you whatever you want, talk to you about whatever you want, because uh, you're the most entertaining guy. Not only with a with a guitar in your hand, but just your story. So. We're going to just kind of let these guys fire some shots at you and ask some questions. So would you guys go ahead and ask him something? You know, Vince, you seem like such a, a man of so many talents. So what was it, whenever you're at a young age getting up to play golf with Woody and Bob Clay, what was it about golf that stuck out to you so much that made you want to keep persevering and get better at it? Oh, uh, you know, I just, I just think no matter where you are in the game, even if you get to be Nicholas or Palmer or Tiger or whoever, 
you still want, you still know you can get better, you know? And I, I don't think that the beauty of it is no matter what, no matter how bad you start playing, it won't last. And no matter how good you start playing, it won't last. And I think it's the, the one game you can do until you get old. I had a, an old Englishman guitar buddy of mine. And he, he said, you play golf? And I said, yeah. And he goes, isn't that what you do between cricket and death? <laughs> but it is, you know, it's, it's, it's a, there's a beauty in that game that it, even when you get a, hit a good shot, you know, it could, could have been a little bit better. It could have been a little bit worse. You never master it. And I think that's the, the beauty of it, you know, and I just, I've always been drawn to it. I was drawn to all sports and was a good athlete as a kid and played baseball and played basketball and all that kind of stuff. But golf was the one thing that really, uh, I was drawn to, I think even, you know, golf something you can do by yourself. You don't have to have four or five buddies to get up a game, really, to enjoy the game. And, and as my life went on, and I, I took off as a musician and toured the world and did all those things, that was the one thing I could go do where I could just be with me was I spent my life in front of people. And I never had a problem, you know, slipping out there and playing golf by myself. I really enjoyed it. And still do to this day, you know. And I know I'm gonna play this game until I can't, until my body won't let me at some point, you know. Absolutely, Vince. And you know, while we're still talking about the kind of early part of you uh, loving the game of golf, I have to take you back to Northwest Classen, and I'm kind of biased because my dad went to Northwest Classen as well. And and my question here, Vince, is: Was there something in the water at Northwest Classen? I mean, you have Skip Bayless from there, Vince Gill from there. Those teachers must have been amazing at Northwest Classen. But talk a little bit about your time there, um, and and also where you know in high school you kind of learned to love the game of golf. Golf at, at Northwest Classic. Well, I, I, I'm trying to remember if our golf coach even played golf. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, they did you know? But we played. One of the big reasons we played, tried to play on the golf team. I got to play all four years. Is if you were on the golf team, you got to after lunch. You didn't have to go back to school. You know, you got to go to the golf course and either play matches or practice or qualify or whatever you did. You know, and so that was that was a big part of it was, hey, if I, if I could be on the golf team, I don't have to go past school past one o'clock. And, and there's a lot to that when you're 15 years old. <laughs> Anything That's you right. do to get out. Of it. And, you know, it was it was an interesting time. You know, it, we, we had, they had just started integrating schools and busing kids all over town and this and that. And I don't know if, if the, the possibility of a great education was, was as um, available, maybe. You know, not for any other reason other than if you give a kid a reason to not try very hard, they won't disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) I was certainly in that camp, you know, and, and plus I was, I was a little rocker, you know, I played in a couple of garage bands that played at dances and, and mixtures and things like that. And, And so I was, you know, I was a bit of both. I was a bit of a jock and a bit of a, of a hippie, you know, so, um, I, I didn't, and plus, I here's what else I knew by the time I was probably a freshman or sophomore in high school is that I wasn't going to go to college. I knew I was going to play music. And that was, the, you know, in a way, it was kind of an amazing gift uh, that I got knowing I knew what I wanted to do at such an early age. Somebody paid me, you know, in the first couple of years of high school, somebody paid me to come play 
in a club or a bar or whatever it was. And I said, then you'll pay me to do this. I said, I know exactly what I want to do the rest of my life. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I never did think about going to school and, and I truly wasn't, you know, probably wasn't good enough to catch the interest of any college to come and say, Hey, I'll give you a scholarship to come play for me. You know, that was certainly not the case for me. And so it was, it made, it made those years kind of easy and peaceful. Which he talked about there in high school, I'll never forget. The guys on my team, when I was playing John Marshall, I always, even though you, you had longer hair than all of us, we knew you played that guitar. Uh, you cussed like a sailor when you played golf when we were younger, which I just I used still to do. I, I just used to laugh at how, how pissed off you'd get playing golf. But I always loved to get to play with you. And I remember the guys on my team always saying to me, what is, why do you like that Vince guy? He's a derelict. He's this or he's that. And I'd always say to him, boy, you're missing something here. This, this guy is more fun to play golf with. Now, yeah, he's going to go probably volcano at some point. He's going to get mad at something. But he's a different cat than everybody else we always had to play with. And all the nerds that played golf <laughs> back in our 70s, you know, there weren't. We weren't considered athletes, but I always got a kick out of the fact that, that you were your own person. So what I think is ironic here, and this is my question to you, that alone time was the same reason I played golf, because I couldn't play guitar. You've seen that. We've tried it. And uh, <laughs> I think that, that when we look back at our younger age, when you say you had alone time, I know your mom is the sweetest person I'd ever met in my life. I know your dad was a hard ass is an understatement. Uh, how did they mold you? What, what about your mom and dad helped you to become Vince Gill is what I'd be curious about. I know the listeners would be. Well, you know, truthfully, I don't know that I'm like either one of them. My mom always said about me, she said, you're different than the rest of us. They grew up hard. You know, they grew up and saw the depression. They grew up and saw the the Second World War, they uh, all those things, you know, where they would ration things because of the war, and and they grew up very hard, you know, both kind of more like in a farm uh, setting. My mom grew up on a farm, milking cows and working hard, and you know, and she knew the value of hard work, and and so I was never, I was never afraid of hard work, but I was always a, a little bit more, I don't know, a little more compassionate. Than, than than most of the people in my family, and uh, have a softer side of some some sort. I don't know what that is, but it's probably what has made me do a lot of the things I do for other people. You know, be of a charity minded uh, spirit. You know, somebody asked me, said, "Why do you do so much of that kind of stuff?" I said, "Well, for a long time, nobody ever asked. You know, because unless you have some notoriety around you, you know, you're not a you're not a plus sometimes to." things like that to raising money and doing charitable things. And, and so they're always trying to get somebody that, that can draw a crowd and whatnot. And then after a few years, I could do that. And, and it, it made sense, but I don't know. They just were, my folks were real matter of fact and very common sense. I would say common sense was the one constant denominator that whatever you did, whatever choice you made, whatever mistake you made, it better have made some common sense or you'd really catch hell for it. And I, I knew better than to get get busted by the cops and, and have 
called my parents and come bail me out of jail. That was never going to happen. I tell that joke on stage. I said they they would. I can imagine how it would go. They'd say, "Yeah, you get one phone call." I tell them, "I'll just keep it. I'll take whatever you guys are dishing out over my folks." <laughs> Amen. Amen. But you know that was just the era. You know, it was the time that we grew up in. It was not the days of of real huggy, kissy. You know, I don't. I don't. My dad was not affectionate. You know, and it was kind of. You had to be. You had to be tough. You had to be this. You had to be that. It was so much part of the social side of, of things that went on in the late fifties and early sixties when we grew up. So it was normal, you know, by today's standards, it would probably be over the top. It would probably be looked down upon or whatever. But to me, it was just my normal and I'm, I've been fine with it the whole time. You know, I don't, I didn't need to go see a therapist to, to, to get all these, you know, long, hurtful details out of out of the inside of me. I was, I've been fine the whole time. I I realized I said my job is not to change my dad. My my job is to accept my dad and I did, you know, with his whatever flaws and faults that he had, we all have you know, so that to me was always the key to a good relationship was love somebody at their worst. And so it didn't whatever happened in, in my upbringing it didn't it didn't I don't think it really put a bunch of deep stars in me no it didn't i I can promise you that that, that's beautiful words of advice there vince and something that that you were kind of talking about earlier when you're talking uh along the lines of golf you know one of the reasons that you loved it so much was you know you can play by yourself you can you can never master it you can play until you're at an old age it seems like there's a lot of similarities with golf as there are in music do you see the two very similar or do you you see the two as uh, two completely different entities no i see them as very similar in that, I mean, the, the the object is quite different, you know, to playing a guitar to hit the golf ball. But the, the the great similarity is is you have to picture it in your mind. You have to you have to create what you what you see. You know, that's what I do. I I can I can hear in the air what I want my voice to do, what I want the guitar to do, how I want to play it, what chords I want to play. And then with golf, I have to envision the shot I want to play. I'll tell you a fun story about me and Woody. We were playing out of the oak tree one day and we're we're grown, you know, we're probably thirty, forty years old at the time and we're playing out there one day, we're on the last hole and I hit over in the trees where there there ain't six feet of opening, right? And I'm two twenty, two thirty from the green and I pull out a one iron and Woody starts laughing. He goes, What in the hell are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm gonna take his one iron, I'm gonna start it left of that tree right there and I'm going to cut it, keep it below that. That, that, that. He goes, there's no way in hell you can hit that shot. I said, I'll bet you dinner I can hit that shot. <laughs> I bet yeah. for some ungodly reason I pulled it off, you know, and knocked it up on the green and he said, you're the luckiest SOB I've ever seen. I was <laughs> doubling up. Do it again. And I did it again on him. But I envisioned, all I'm saying is is I, I picture that in my head. And, and to me, uh, when you're being creative, it, it all comes from the same place, whether you're playing, playing golf or swinging on a, swinging on a guitar. 
That's so true. You know, as far as the you know technical side of playing the guitar and playing golf, I think there's also some similarities, Vince. And you know, we talk a lot about mini tour life uh, coming up, guys chasing their dream, trying to play the game of golf for a living. And you talked a little bit about you know you starting out you know in garage bands and things like that. I, I think there's some similarities there too. Talk a little bit about your beginning stages of coming up in the country music world. Well. Um, and I'll talk about Jim and I both, you know, he, he was the one kid that was better than the rest of us at golf. And I was the one kid in, in, in the, in our area that was better than most people playing and singing music. And when I finally started, you know, getting a record deal and, and having a chance, and then I saw Woody show up on tour, it was like, Hey, we both did it. You know, regardless of the outcome, we got to this point and I was, I can't tell you. I went to see him in some tournament. I don't even remember where he was playing in. I went over and made sure to say, hey, I said, I'm sure proud of you being out of here. And, and uh, we talked, you know, just totally different, totally different paths that we both succeeded, you know, and that was, that's a win, you know, it's a win for where we're from. It's a win for each of us. And, and the problem, the, the thing that I think most people, fail to realize is we had the guts to try, you know, and, and that's hard. There's a lot of people that are really talented musically that don't have the guts to move to an LA or a Nashville or a New York or, or whatever and put in the, you know, the time, you know, and, and I did, I was willing. I moved away from home at 18 and started playing in a band and I lived in a room in an attic, at this guy's house for $15 a month. You know, and if I was doing that, I said, man, I guess I'm not willing to do or try anything. You know, and I always figured the worst thing that could happen is if it doesn't work, I can just go home. And that was, there was a, there was a great piece in that, you know, and then I got to be, I've always, like I said, I've always played this crazy game and played pretty well, been a scratch player most of my life and had a couple of little rounds in my life, shot 62 once, playing with Bobby Walcott, who played on tour for a while his place here in, t- in Tennessee. And so on a given day, I can play, I can play that game as, as about as good as it can get played, but that doesn't happen very often. And when I turned 50, I went and tried a few U.S. Open qualifiers and I've never been so scared in all my life. But <laughs> even though I tried, I, I missed, I missed, I think I missed three times by a shot or two of, of doing it. And I think I would have, I think I would have probably freaked out if I'd have done it. That would have been the worst <laughs> thing that ever. But um, at least I tried and I got close and I was competitive. And, and even as an older guy, that feels pretty good, you know, to miss, miss the playoff by a shot or finish second and they only took one guy, or, you know, those kinds of things. And some days you just, you know, you, know, you lunged it so bad you didn't think you'd ever want to play again. But that's the beauty of the game. You never know. Get up there how it's going to go. Well, the, to remind you, it, the way that that story is is true. That we did see each other at a golf course. It's funny, guys. I was watching the Country Music Awards, and it was 1990, my rookie year on tour. I had taken some time as a club pro before I decided I was going to have the guts. As Vince said, I thought I was good enough. I wanted to see. Well, I'm watching those Country Music Awards, and all of a sudden they announce a song of the year, and it's Vince Gill. And I thought. Holy crap, Vince Gill, no way. And here he came walking out on the stage to get that award, and I'm sitting there thinking, I go, I know that guy. I, I played golf with that guy, and everybody's like, 
yeah, right, Woody. You don't know who the hell Vince Gill is. Yes, I do. And so what's ironic is the next week, you know where it was? It was at Greensboro in North Carolina, Vince. Okay. And I was, you were down on the range hitting balls, and I didn't see you. And you're right. You came walking up to me and acted like I had done something that was so amazing. And that's why I'm telling you guys about how humble this man is. He wanted to brag on the fact that I had gotten to the PGA Tour. And shit, I couldn't even hardly make a cut. I'm struggling <laughs> like hell to get out there. And he's already pretty much starting his superstar upward uh, realm. He had people, let's just say this, he had a bigger gallery than I did that day. A lot bigger, okay? <laughs> but he was so humble, he came to that, that to me, and told me how proud he was of me. And I just said, still, I can still see it clear as a bell when you did that. I mean, and it meant the world to me that I thought, he's not even going to remember who the heck I am. And that was my next lead-in from that question, is I don't think people really truly understand how humble of individual you really are and how competitive you really are. Where did you get the competitive nature? I'm telling you what, dude, this guy doesn't like to lose, boys. And and if you think I didn't have to buy dinner that night, you're wrong. I did. (laughs) He's got more money than a show dog can jump over and I'm just a lonely golf pro and I bought dinner. But and I lost dinner, so I deserve to buy dinner. But where did you get that competitiveness, Vince? Oh, I think we all have it. I think it's all in there, you know. I, I don't have it so much anymore. But um uh, I'll tell you a great this is my one of my favorite stories is I got to play with with Arnold Palmer and a pro am I think it was in Oklahoma City. I think it was. I think we we're playing at Quail Creek and um uh, I played with him a time or two before we were friends and, and I'm having a particularly great day this day, you know, and we're playing and, and I hold one out of a fairway bunker on a par four for an Eagle and we're having a great day. We get to 18, right? We've not said one word about score to each other, me and Arnie we're playing with a couple other knuckleheads and we get to 18, we're playing 18 and I know that Arnold's four under par, and I know that I'm four under par. And so I hit my second shot up on the green, got about 18 feet, and I caught it, and I just missed it. And said, ah, damn it, you know, and he got about a 15-footer, and he looks at me, puts his ball down, knocks it in, and looks at me again and puts it like a gun on his finger and goes, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> he told me he knew I was four under par, and so was he as, as well as I did. And so I think it's pretty universal, that competitive spirit, you know. And, and, you know, those guys, when you're out there and you're playing with them, the last thing they want to have happen is some singer beat them, you know. I can assure you of that. And, and, and every now and then I get them, you know, but not very often, just a handful of times. And that's always pretty fun. We played in a – oh, God, there used to be a tournament in, uh, in Hawaii. Was it a Lincoln – Lincoln something. And it was – end of the year thing and everybody came over and just had fun and and so we were going to have a practice round and it was seven tour players and me i think fred funk was there and pertzer and i don't know who all and so there was eight of us and somebody said well Vince, the two of us and me and we'll we'll take you four and they all go well, that's not fair he's a singer you know we're okay and i and i and i had some made more birdies than everybody that day. <laughs> 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 it was good fun but uh, 
that's a good way to have them put their foot in their mouth on that conference. Oh, it's sure. it's big fun, but humility. You know, I, if 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 it's not it's humble, it's not because I say I am. You know, that's that's only by example that you can ever be called that or be thought that of. So I'm grateful to hear you say that, but it's not that's not my place ever to really talk about it. You know. I'm welcoming of every person I come into contact with. And that's just how I've always been. You know, I open doors for people. I speak to strangers. And, and what's really, really sad, guys, is is people are surprised that you're nice. You know, that's really, that's not a great, it's not a great feeling in a way. It's a matter you're just normal. I'm so surprised you're just nice. You know, go, well, that doesn't speak very well of the people in my profession. It's not supposed to be very nice, and you think they're all not supposed to be very nice. But I don't, you know, I really loathe arrogance. You know, I, I can't stand it, and I don't, I don't like people to think they're better than somebody else. I'm real, you know. When somebody told me that all men are created equal, I just believed it. You know, and I still do. I, I wish we, I wish we would act that way. You know, you, you and me both. This, we, I mean, you're preaching to the, the choir on that. I completely agree with everything you just said, and. You know, one thing I find interesting is that I feel like for me, Sam and Woody, one of the biggest things we talked about on this podcast is how much golf has changed over the last few years, decades, however long you want to go back. How have you noticed that the music industry has changed from when you started to now? Well, it always has. You have to look, to me, you have to look at it in, in the entirety of it. You know, you can't just look from your generation forward. And that's disrespectful to me and to everything that came before. So. What I've seen in my 65 years is every music change. Pop music change, rock and roll music change, uh, country music always changed. You know, the things I grew up on in the 50s was Love and Ray Price and Buck Owens and Merle Haggard. Nobody does that anymore. But they were different than Roy Acuff was and Jimmy Dickens was and, and people like that. So the involvement always happens. But you only notice it because you're in the middle of it. And, and these kids are doing stuff that, that that nobody else ever did you know it's just their way of being creative and i don't i don't uh i don't cast aspersions on them for for being what they want to be and they're influenced by what they're influenced by and being creative should have should not have any rules it shouldn't have any limitations you shouldn't have to do it a certain way to make it be whatever it is we've always sadly had to um define everything that we do so we feel comfortable with it whether it's our jeans or our shoes or our clothes or our music or our race or all those things and all that does is is make it uh you have to define it before you can say i like it or i don't and i've never been that way i listen to music i don't care whether it's pop or it's jazz or it's whatever i either just like it or i don't you know and that's that's the only thing i've ever kind of gone by when it when it came to trying to define what what music is and and how it changes i like to see it change it stays the same all the time i don't think i don't think anybody stay interested in it very long so i think it's i think it's healthy you know you see it in golf you see the way that we were taught jimmy and i when we were kids is not the way it's taught today you don't see any kids out there hitting the ball like we did you know they're going at it full tilt and the club head speed is 8,000 miles an hour hitting it further than humanly we ever thought possible and so they found a different way to play the game and, and, and same with music we find a different way to play 
a lot of the same chords and a lot of the same songs. I want to take a second to remind everybody to go visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank. They continue to be one of the strongest community banks in the nation. For the past 13 years, they've been recognized as one of the top performing banks in the nation. As a result, you can feel confident knowing that your money is safe and secure, and the guidance that they provide is focused on your needs, not what the bank needs. Go visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank if you live here in the Oklahoma city area okay let's take a break and then on the other side of the break you definitely want to stay with us because vince is going to tell us a hilarious story about the time that he played golf with jack nicholas here on the 73rd hole the official podcast of golf oklahoma when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call mccray roofing mccray roofing is oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. I'm curious, um, is there anyone in the music industry that you haven't worked with that you would like to? And then is there any golfer um, that you haven't played with that you would like to? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, you know, with, with music, I, I, didn't always, I didn't always start out thinking I wanted to be a solo artist, to be a, a star, so to speak. I thought I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of the a part of the process. I either wanted to be a session player and play on records, sing on records, write songs, be a harmony singer or whatever. And I just wanted to be part of the band, you know, and I still feel that way. I feel like that's really what I do. I'm, I'm the front guy and I sing all the songs, but I'm still in a band. So it's a very democratic process. And, and in those, in those years, since I've been gone 45, almost 50 years, I've worked on maybe a thousand artists records. You know, singing on them or playing on them or record a song of mine or what have you, and and I didn't know that any of those would ever happen. So I don't have a, I don't have a list. I just kind of like to wait and see who's on the other end of the phone. I got a phone call, not bragging, but it was Eric Clapton about tw- almost twenty years ago, and and he, the, the phone rings and I pick it up. And he goes, Hello, Vince, it's Eric Clapton. I go, Yeah, 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 sure it is. <laughs> I said, I'm. <laughs> Who's yanking my chain? He's laughing. He goes, "No, it really is Eric." And he says, "I'm doing a guitar festival in in Dallas." And he said, "I'm only inviting guitar players I like, and I'd like you to come." And it was such a beautiful, you know, invitation. And and so it was it was neat that that uh, a great guitar player saw me as the musician I always intended to be. And and then with golf. You know, I've gotten to play with Arnie. I've gotten to play with Jack. Do you have time for a good Jack story? We have all oh, the time, time you have. Oh, <laughs> okay. so this, this is great. I had never played with, 
Jack Nicholas before, and that was easily the most scared I've ever been to play golf. And he built a golf course not too far from here and called and asked if I would come and play the inaugural round with him. I said, yes, sir, and showed up. And, and so we're, we're having a press conference about the golf course and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there. I don't have to answer any questions. And he says to me, so, so let's go loosen up. Let's go play. I said, yes, sir, okay. And so we're heading towards the practice range. Some guy in the gallery starts smarting off to me. You know, and I said something like, yeah, well, leave, you know, leave me alone, you old bastard, or something like that. <laughs> and Nicholas is about five steps ahead of me. He whips his head around. He goes, what'd you call me? I said, excuse me? He goes, did I just hear you call me an old bastard? I said, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to some guy in the gallery. He goes, oh, sure, you got the needle out early, do you, kid? And I go, no, I don't have a needle. You know, and, and so I'm going, oh, no. He goes, oh, okay, great. That's how it's going to be. And I'm just going, oh, crap. You know? <laughs> so we go to the first tee, and he wants to hit a persimmon driver for old time's sake, so we scrape it around there. And, <clears throat> and we played about four or five holes, and I'm hanging in there, and made four or five pars, and, and he did too. And we get to this par three, and, and I've hit it about six, eight paces off the, you know, six, eight feet off the edge of the green on this par three, and got a little side hill thing, and I'm take my stand wedge out and I'm going to bump this chip into the hill and kind of slow the speed down so it can roll down the hill. And I'm getting ready to hit the shot. He goes, what are you doing? I said, excuse me? He says, what, what are you doing? And I said, well, what shot are you playing? I said, well, I'm going to try to bump this wedge into that hill. And I da 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 and he throws his hands at me. He goes, well, go ahead. You know? And so I don't pull the shot off. I, I miss hitting it into the hill a little bit. It goes about eight, ten feet by he said, Vince, he said, Arnold Palmer always told me you should putt those. He said, your worst putt will always be about as good as your best chip. He said, drop another ball. Try it again. You know, I said, okay. So I pulled my putter out and I knocked it up there a few inches away. He said, Steve, you should always putt those. I said, thank you, Jack. Okay. Appreciate the tip. And I'm walking off the, I'm walking off the green. My caddy's one of my best friends. He said, I still like your shot better. <laughs> <laughs> We go, we play, we're having a really fine day, and I'm playing good, and we get to 18, and we've played all day long, and he's one under par, and I'm one over par. So we're playing 18, and and uh, I hit my second shot in the greenside bunker, and he hits his shot right up in the collar, and he's got about a 125-foot putt, right? And so he, I hit my bunker shot up there about four feet away, and he looks at me and he reaches in his bag and smiles and pull out, pulls out his putter, right? Sends his little crouch down and has this 120-foot putt, goes up over a hill and over another and down one, and it's only an inch from the hole and almost goes in. The whole gallery goes nuts, you know. He's laughing and smiling and kind of giving me a speed. You should always putt those kind of a thing. And so now I've got like a three or four-footer, you know, and everybody's watching. He's finished. He's tapped in and I went over to Jack and I put my arm around him. I said, Mr. Nicholas? He goes, yeah, what? I said, uh, you know, this might have been the greatest day of my whole life. You know, I, I never thought I'd ever get a chance to, to play golf with you. And it's, it's been an amazing day. And, and I just, I'm so grateful for the day. And, and, you know, you shot one under par today and I've got that for, for one over and I've given you a good match. And do you remember when, uh, when you gave that putt to Tony Jacklin and the, the Ryder Cup, and he goes, what are you talking about? I said, look, I said, straight up, I said, if I miss that four-footer, 
in front of all these people. I'm going to drive home so pissed off. I won't be able to. I won't be able to see them. You think there's any possible way you could see your way to like you did for Tony that time in the Ryder Cup? You think you could give me that putt? He started laughing. He goes, "Sure, get pick it up, pick it up." <laughs> and and you drove all the way home with a smile on your face. I right? sure did, man. <laughs> for my boy. Well, it was you know, Vince. You've got to tell that story. Uh, Vince puts on a golf tournament. I, do you still do the Vinny Vince? No, nah, we had to shut it down for the COVID and COVID and all that. I, I figured you might have, but he guys he used to do a tournament called the Vinny over in Nashville, where he'd invite a bunch of golf pros and. Oh, musicians, and it was a big pro-am, and then Vince would put on a heck of a show that night. It was a charitable event. It was it was one of the coolest things I've ever done, and I'm going to let him tell this one story, but then I have to tell a story on him after he finishes. Uh, he paired me with a, with a guy, and uh, you take Rock it from up. there, Vince. Oh. Well, Jimmy, got, Jimmy, you know, he's about as, he's as country as we all wish we were, right? <laughs> <laughs> so true. So we're, 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 we're teeing off, and he's got a group, and the guy's a, is a neurologist, brain surgeon, and, but he's a, he's a hippie. You know, he's got a ponytail halfway down to his butt, and, and uh, <laughs> they go and get themselves acquainted, and Jimmy says, hey, partner, what you do? What do you do? And he says, well, I'm a, I'm a brain surgeon. He goes, yeah, sure you are. And I'm a rocket scientist. He says, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I really am a brain surgeon. I just have long hair. <laughs> well, you know, that, that and that did happen, guys. I'm guilty as charged because I thought he was a musician. I didn't know. I mean, he didn't look anything like a neurosurgeon, okay? No, he, and he was playing. He would play rock music. He would play really loud music in the in the OR when he ER when he would do his brain surgery because he loved rock music and it was blaring and they called him the rock doc. Yeah, he was he was a rocker. He he was he was such a fun guy to play golf with and and he took it so well because you know a lot of times people when you make a statement like that, he just started laughing but he didn't wait to rat on on me to bench. Let's just tell you that. But there was. There was one other time I had to tell this story. I was playing in the Vinny, and uh, Vince and I had both gone through pretty low times in our uh, love life, shall we say. And uh, we we kind of did it almost together. It was funny how, how he he had to get divorced earlier than I did, but then I followed right in his track because it looked like he had so much fun, and that's not true. It was not fun. I, I, I really, it's one of the few times I've actually seen Vince, oh, kind of down uh he's always been so upbeat guys but that was rough on him and and uh so i was coming to the benny and uh he came up to me and you know he was kind of scared now because he didn't know what i might do uh with who i played with and buddy he, he showed some real confidence in me he came up to me he said hey i've got somebody playing with you today and uh would you mind taking good care of her and help her and try to make her have a good day and i said her and he said, yeah. He said, just do me this favor. And I said, buddy, I'll do anything for you. You can go back. <laughs> I said, I'll take care of this gal. I'll make sure she has a good time. And and so, you know, Woody, Woody doesn't always I, – I, I know some people, but I don't know a lot of people. And 
so she was an attractive lady, and she was just starting to play golf, and she whacked that ball, and she hit some really good shots, and I cheered her on, and we had such a good day. And he came up afterwards, and he said to me, thank you so much. Amy had the time of her life. She really enjoyed your day with you. And I looked at him, and I go, so what's the deal with her? And he just looked back at me, and he just kind of winked. And I thought to myself, and I thought, well, you guys, if you understood what he just said, thanks for taking care of Amy. It was Amy Grant. I didn't know Amy Grant. I I didn't listen to Christian music. (laughs) Probably should have. I didn't didn't know her very well either. (laughs) Well, and and what I'll never forget, she winked at me when I got finished. And Vince and I have always had this relationship where we didn't, we don't really get into a lot of stuff. And I felt like at that time, it was really important to Vince, whoever she was and what it was in his life, that I could help you that day in some way, shape, or form. And I can't tell you how excited I was when I figured out who she was and that you all ended up marrying. Uh, And I feel like I was part of that. (laughs) Does that sound crazy to you, my friend? That sounds about right. I had a few... (laughs) If, I mean, it was it was an interesting stretch of life, you know. I, I was crazy about her when I first met her, but and, and it was vice versa. She was crazy about me, but we were both married to different people. So, well, I met somebody I'm crazy about, but that's, that's just too bad, you know, because life's not going to work out that way. And then it unfolded, and and it was not it was not planned, it was not orchestrated, and those kinds of things. We luckily wound up together, you know, not by our own choosing, so to speak, but just because it was meant to be. And uh, I had a few folks that knew I was crazy about her, and I trusted, and, and Woody was one of them. Well, we might as well just call Woody the matchmaker at this point. He's uh, he's earned <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I'll tell you right now. But uh, that was a, that was a, that was a fun – and you know what's crazy, Vince? I had more fun that day than I did hardly playing with all – you know, I loved it like you. If I see somebody wants to learn how to play golf and I can help them to play better – um, I've always been accused. You don't want to play with me in a pro am because at some point I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Uh, <laughs> it, it just I can't help myself <laughs> as I as I watch that kind of stuff. So kudos to you though. She is a tremendous woman, as you well know. And uh, let's keep her off bicycles, okay? Yeah, we had shoulder surgery yesterday. She's all yeah, oh. start popping oxycontin so it could get weird around here. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> we definitely wish her a fast recovery there, Vince. And my next question is going to seem a little pressure packed, but I think you can handle it. What is your favorite course that you've ever played, and what is your favorite golf course in Oklahoma? Oh, gosh. I was, you know, my favorite, I'd have to say Augusta, you know. Oh, my, tell us about that experience. Well, I played there a few times over the years now, but it was, it was, it was, what was interesting about it to me as a, as a good player, it's the only golf course I've never played that I knew how to play. That makes any sense because I'd seen every hole my whole life and I knew to keep it right on certain holes and not, you know, and so I got around there pretty good, you know, bogey the last two holes, first time around, two over, and I didn't three putt. I was more proud of not three putting at Augusta the first time around. Now that hadn't happened since, but. Anyway, it happened the first time. It was pretty cool. But my favorite golf course in Oklahoma, for real, is I don't even, I would venture to say it's not there anymore. But when I was little, 
you know, before I started junior golfing with Woody and all my other buddies, my dad would occasionally take me to this little nine hole golf course. Um, I think it was in Crescent, Oklahoma. And the greens were made out of cottonseed holes, not even sand. I know a lot of you probably seen sand greens in golf courses where they take a rolling pin down the middle and, and, and pack the sand down and you put down that trough. This was the same thing with cottonseed holes. Cottonseed holes are a lot like mulch, really fine mulch. And it was out in the middle of a pasture, just nine holes. And they didn't have a shop. They just had a cigar box that if you played there, you put, put 50 cents in or whatever it costs to play. And, and, because that was the first place I ever played, you know, my dad took me out there to play on these, on those cottonseed hole greens. That's my favorite course in Oklahoma. That is a great story, Vince. And, and Vince also, I'm curious, I've played a lot of golf in, you know, Memphis and obviously TPC Southwind, Miramichi. There's some great courses in Memphis. Tell us a little bit about golf in Nashville and where you like to play uh, when you're home. Well, we have, sadly, we have the distinction of, bulldozing a Donald Ross golf course here in Nashville called Richland. And Nicholas redid a new golf course for him. It was just in an area of town that was beyond valuable for the property. And, and so they, they relocated the golf course and Jack redid it and it's beautiful. But um, we have another Donald Ross course here in Nashville called Bell Mead, which is kind of the old, the old blue blood kind of very uh, for you know, upscale kind of private place that uh, I play at and Fazio did a course about 30 years ago called Golf Club of Tennessee which is fantastic there's a new Discovery Land place here called Troubadour that's great there's a, a residential place called The Grove it's really great they have a uh, Corn Ferry Tour event there every year um, and there's a ton of good golf courses Nicholas did um, a series of air trace courses across Tennessee kind of what they did the Robert Trent Jones trails courses in Alabama. They did something similar to that here. I played a few of those. A couple of old school country clubs, old Hickory country club is fun. Uh, a couple of good munis. You know, there's a couple of really great park courses uh, in town. One is called Henry Horton and one is called, uh, I don't know what to name it, Henry Horton and the uh, Harpers Hill. And just really good bones for a golf course. There's a, an old course in Shelby Park, which is East Nashville, and they renamed it the Vinnie Link. And it was a, the original plans were Donald Ross plans that never got built to those specifications. But they recently did a redo on it and found those plans, and I think they redid the greens to, to those specs. So they named it after me, after all the junior golf stuff I'd done in Tennessee. And, and you got the surrounding areas with plenty of good golf course, the Legends, Franklin, and uh, it's, you know, Hermitage out, out east of town. There's, there's a lot of great places to play golf out here. Freeland's got a golf course. Harry Taylor runs. Harry played on tour and a little bit here and there and designed clubs for a bunch of different companies. And he's a really close friend. And there's plenty of good golf. Walcott's got Greystone about 35 minutes from here in Dixon, Tennessee, which is a really good golf course. I had the course record there for a while, but it didn't last. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I was really proud of that, and somebody dusted it, and I was, I was crushed. But it's it's pretty good area, you know. A lot of great golf around here. Hey, Benny, I'm going to kind of change our set. I could talk golf with you for all day because uh, the stories I know between the two of us, we we don't have enough time. But I'd be remiss if we didn't ask a couple of questions about. Okay, 
I went to see you perform with the Eagles in Tulsa this year. Right. And, I, you know, it, it was – I, you know what? I hate to tell you guys this, but I would still rather just sit in the room and just let Ben sing to me all by himself with his guitar. I, that's how much I love his voice and music. But the Eagles was pretty doggone special. Tell our listeners, how did this gig come about, and what? how long are you going to do it? What do you think? Well, I'm, I keep playing. They made me an offer I can't understand, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> 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 but, uh, you know, that was, that was always my favorite band. You know, I've got tapes of me as a 15-year-old kid singing Eagles songs somewhere. I could play in it. They're horrible, but that's how I got started. And, and, uh, and they just had the best catalog of songs ever. And, and you know, the only reason I'm getting to do it, Jimmy, is, is because Glenn passed away. You know, and he was a really good friend. Right. And, and for the years they were broken up, how I got closest to Glenn was the guy that manages me, a fellow named Larry Fitzgerald, also managed Glenn in his solo years when the band was broken up from 1980 to 1994. And so we got to be really close. And, and I'd worked on Don Henley's solo record, and, and I knew Joe, and, and I knew all those guys forever. And, and then when Glenn passed, they, I don't think they thought they were even going to continue. And then I, I got this call out of the blue. You think you'd be interested? And I said, when do we leave? You know, yeah. and, and so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bittersweet thing to get to do. I'm doing it only because of a tragedy. But I'm just grateful that I'm the guy out of, you know, a whole world of people that they could have picked to come and sing those songs and keep those songs alive. They picked me, and that's pretty that's pretty powerful. And it, it, what I love about it, Jimmy, is, is when it when it happened to me, you know, in, in the in the latter part of my career, and and it just, you know, the validation of all these years of doing this and playing gigs and traveling for fifty years now, and, and it, it just, you know, I couldn't I couldn't have asked for a better validation of of a of a long long hard fought career. Vance, all your accolades in music speak for themselves. Out of all the accomplishments you've had over your career, is there one or two that really stand out the most to you and mean more than the others? Well, you know, I think a lot of people would, would point towards the Country Music Hall of Fame and say that would that would be the pinnacle. I mean, it's kind of what you all shoot for if you ever sing a hillbilly song with a guitar strapped around your neck, you know, and, and that's what you point at, you know, and, and very few ever get there. And, and so that's, a, that's kind of, once again, it's a culmination of, of the entirety of what you've done that, that allowed that to happen. So, uh, you know, just, I never thought I'd, the funny thing is, is at every point of my career, when, even when I was 18 and I had the courage to leave and go play in some, some bluegrass bands and stuff, I was playing with some of the best musicians that that kind of music had. You know, I was in a band with Ricky Skaggs when I was 18, 19 years old. Uh, I was in a band with Byron Burline, who's a legendary fiddle player, passed away last year there from Oklahoma, lived in Guthrie, had his double-stop fiddle shop there in Guthrie, and he bet on me when I was a kid. And So even when I was a kid, I wasn't like having hit records and top of the charts or any of that, but I was playing with the best musicians there were. So that felt like success to me. You know, I didn't equate success necessarily with a dollar and where you sat on the charts and, and your popularity in that world. It, it was all about uh, who you were surrounding yourself with. And I always tried to be around musicians that were better than me and still do. You know, even with the bands I choose to play with and guys that come and travel with me and play in my band, they're all better than me. You know, that's why I want them around because they, 
they inspire me to get better. And, and that's the, the really amazing thing is after doing it for 50 years, that's my goal is to try to get better. And I don't care if, I don't care if anybody knows it but me. If I see it and I hear it and I realize it, that my songs are a little bit better now than they were, I can't, I can't let the results of what they are be my definition of what I've done. And, and it's never, it's kind of never been that way for me. So to point to a handful of things and say, this was the biggest, this was, the, you know, I think to this, to this day, I feel like I'm, I'm the best I've been right now. Not when I was 45 and having the biggest hits in the, in the country, you know, that, that wasn't my, my definition of what, what I was best at, I guess. I don't know how it's better to say it. Woody, we can't let Vince get out of here with you um, not critiquing Vince's game. We got to know what Vince's game is like on the golf course, Woody, and, and kind of take us through uh, a day with uh, Vince Gill on the golf course. You know, uh, one of the, the, the first things I'll tell you is what he said earlier about his imagination. Um, he he has a vision, whether it's playing that guitar or playing golf, believe it or not, most people don't have. Um, I would, I would, I would venture to say if he wasn't, hadn't have been so good at, at his guitar, he might've been able to do something with his golf club. That's how good he was. Vince and I grew up playing golf guys where it was really simple. Uh, you just tried to hit it where you could find it and then get it into the hole as fast as you could. Okay. We, we didn't have a track, man. Uh, we hardly had golf balls that were round enough to go straight. So <laughs> what, what, what you always saw, and I still see it with him today i can't tell you the last time we played golf i hate it but uh he always was simple i mean he'd look at a hole he'd look at a shot and just like that one at oak tree uh, i mean if you guys would have seen what he was trying to do i i i, 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 buying, I didn't mind buying dinner i'll just tell you this because there's not a chance in hell anybody should be able to hit this shot and uh and to this day, I will never tell him this until this podcast. I went back there a couple of times and tried to hit it myself. <laughs> and I didn't, I did not get it. Not only did I not get it on the green, I didn't get it 50 yards down through there before I nailed it. An oak tree and that ball ricocheted off. So, um, he, he always, I, I think that, that vision and, and he was always a really good putter. Uh, and Shepard, because I think he he had a vision, and 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 he could see things that the average guy doesn't see, and I, I know he does that with his music, and so um, you know God blesses people in different ways, and he he darn sure reached down with Vince and uh, gave him what I would say some of the best hand eye coordination of anybody I'd ever been around. Well, that, that's a great breakdown there, Woody. I mean, he's done it. Uh, Woody, like you said, you kind of do it for everyone. It's great to hear about Vince's game. Vince, my last question for you, you know, before we get you out of here is, obviously, you, know, you kind of talked about it earlier with, with how much you've done in your career, and you said you're not done yet. So what does the future hold for Vince Gill? Well, the same thing. You know, it's never changed from day one. You know, if you – if you find a better way to write a song, you find a way, better way to play a solo, if you find a better way to sing a song, that's kind of how I'm, I'm wired. You know, that's how, I'm, and I'm wired that way for all things. You know, whether it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I go, what's a, what's a little bit better way I could do this? How could I stay more with less? You know, and, and 
same thing holds true for for life, you know, and somebody's struggling, it, you know, it's just a little bit of common sense and and uh, I don't know. The thing that frustrates me more on 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 most levels is doing the thing I doing something that I know is the wrong thing to do, yet you do it anyway. That's what always made me the maddest on the golf course. It's when I I had two two ways to do this and if I choose the wrong one I go you knew that was the dumb one. <laughs> so that's kind of always been, you know, the, the, the I guess the, what you're trying to accomplish is, is to make, you know, what I would talk about it earlier, it's common sense. What's, what makes the most sense? So that's the way I went about just about everything, music or whether it was golf or whether it was friendships or, or any of that, you know. Vince, we got to get you out of here on a couple Twitter questions, and I picked a couple Twitter questions out. Um, the first one says, your favorite song to perform at the Grand Ole Opry? Oh, gosh. Um, my favorite song to perform anywhere is the song I wrote for Amy when I first met her. It's a really beautiful ballad called Whenever You Come Around. And uh, it's it's really, a, a, a it came from a really sweet sentiment. It's it was centered around the beauty of her smile, you know, and I just met her and I never, I didn't know her and I, you know, didn't think we'd wind up getting mad. None of that stuff was even on the, on the table. I just thought that's the prettiest smile I've ever seen. And so the, the song was born from seeing her smile and it just always takes me back to that, at uh, that moment where we first really met and had that connection and it was beautiful. And I just love the, the melody of it. I love, how my voice sings that song and, and everything about it is not my favorite song to perform. Okay, and then the next Twitter question here says, what was it like getting to work and jam with Alice Cooper and have y'all played golf together? <laughs> you know, when I his name is Vince, too, which I, I, I found out early in my life, but I was playing schools out in my garage band back in, in, when I was a kid, and when I found out he was a golfer, you know, the goth guy and all the makeup and all the dramatic rock stuff. I go, man, that's crazy that he plays golf. And it gave me this insight to, you know, a connection to him. And and we wound up becoming friends through golf more than music. And then through our friendship, he had, you know, I got to play on one of his records a few years ago, play guitar on a record. It's really cool. I can't remember Welcome to My Nightmare or something like that. And and just being around him, he's the most normal guy in the whole world, you know, even though his whole persona of a performer is, is, is a little bit, a little bit crazy, but, uh, he loves golf, you know, so we got that in common and that you pretty much, you pretty much make friends with anybody who plays golf. A hundred percent. And then the last Twitter question here, uh, you know, obviously it's been a little controversial in professional golf. You told us about, you know, the state of where you think golf is right now. What do you think about the state of professional golf and what do you think about live and the PGA tour and all that? Well, I've been laughing, telling everybody they offered me a deal. They came after me and said, we'd like to offer you a deal, 800 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, it's, it's a hard one. I just don't, um, I don't have any animosity towards guys that are taking the money and, and cashing in and, and, and all that. You know, there's the, there's the whole social aspect of everything of what those, you know, what those people are about and, and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, I try to stay up out of the fray of, 
of having too much of an opinion on what somebody should or shouldn't do. Nothing I hate more than somebody telling me how I should think, you know. And and so I don't have any any anything towards that. I just um, I from a I, I don't see that it has legs. I don't know that it'll have legs to last, you know, if that kind of money is going to be thrown around. If there's nothing in return for it, I don't know that they'll, their interest will, will stay that long, you know. And, you know, there's a, an awful lot of history in what Arnie and Jack did and forming the tour and helping the tour and doing what it did for the tour, and it just kept getting better and better and better, and, and, it, and it continued to do that even to this day, you know. Um, but, you know, we never thought that the, that the bell ran for our phones would ever change and there'd be competition, but there is. And, and I think competition's pretty healthy, you know, um, for everything and everybody. So I don't know. I don't, I don't have any idea much whether, whether it will work or won't work. And I'm not, I'm not against or for either side, you know. It's an awful lot of guys that some people are, would, would surmise are polarizing kind of people so you know therein lies what you're getting in that world so i got no problems well that's exactly what i figured you'd say um because you're smart you've got common sense you're going to stay <laughs> stay that level uh we're going to have to let you go buddy like i said i could talk to you forever but on a on kind of a personal note we've uh oh lost some pretty good friends the last few years, we've, it's hard to believe you and I are sitting here at 65 years old. One thing I will tell you, I'm a little disappointed that you got 800. They only offered me 750. So now <laughs> you've even become a better offer than I have. Here's yeah, the thing, so had, See, not only did you, you become a superstar, now, now you beat me at golf. Uh, so I've, it's come full circle for us. Our friendship started with golf. Yeah. And to to me, for people out there, they would actually look around and say, "I don't know why you play that stupid game." Well, if you if you play golf and you love golf, the people that you get to meet is what I've always said is the greatest thing that I've had happened to me in my lifetime. But you're still one of the top. Well, right back at you, buddy. It's the same reason I play music. I don't. I, I love it, and I love that, but. I'd trade all the hits in for uh, if I had to give up all the friends I've made playing music for all the hits I had, I'd trade the hits. Right. I like friends I made. And it's the same in golf, you know? I, I, I that's the, you never know who, who, who's going to cross your path. You know, different worlds can really intersect and collide. And, and you make, you know, you make music friends for life. I've still got the same friends in music that I made when I was 16, 18 years old. I've still got the same friends I made. It's evidenced by you and me from third grade on. So friends are friends are hard to find. Yeah, that's fact. Well, we we can't thank you enough. We kept you way too long, but uh, hell, I just love talking to you. And uh, reminiscing is always good. It makes me realize how lucky both of us are. So uh, you go take care of that lovely bride of yours, okay? Because I can see that smile myself. When she smiled at me, I knew she was special, okay? So you, uh, you keep beating me by one the rest of our lives. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do what I can, buddy. But it's uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I'm sure this is going to be one of our more popular podcasts. 
Oh, simply because uh, people always want to hear from you, buddy. All right, man. You guys take care. Thanks, Vince. Right, I really too, appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right. See you, boys.